This is Profoundly, the podcast from Femme Foundry, and I'm your host, Pips Taylor. If you don't know us already, Femme Foundry is a one-stop digital space for anyone who identifies as a woman and is a place to discover, connect, belong, grow, and thrive, all on your own terms. On this podcast, we'll be bringing you special guests and leaders from Femme Foundry. Each week, who will be sharing their stories, advice, and inspirations. We've got everyone from entrepreneurs and business leaders to artists to activists. I mean, nothing is off limits here. No fluff and jargon, no filters, just real talk on all the things that matter to us all, from the professional to the very personal. Download the new Femme Foundry app now for access to all of our podcasts and so much more. You can connect with podcast guests and industry leaders, you can take part in our academy sessions, and you can join live events, and you can access our mentorship opportunities. And it's all free. We can't wait to meet you. Welcome to your new home. This week, we are talking fashion with the fabulously talented designer and stylist, Ellie Lines. Now, Ellie's luxury British dress label launched in 2014, making beautiful, stylish pieces with a strong sense of fun. Each one inspired by the glamour of the 60s and 70s and designed with a particular friend in mind. Her brand has been spotted on famous faces from Claudia Schiffer to Holly Willoughby. She's graced the covers of glossy magazines and was named a label to watch by Grazia. She's here today to chat about the beauty of slow, sustainable, zero-waste fashion, her own creative journey from stylist to designer, and her predictions about post-pandemic fashion. So, Ellie, welcome to Profoundly. I'm really excited to be chatting to you today. Uh, you used to be a stylist, and you're now uh, the well founder and run of Ellie Lines, which is your British luxury dress label, um, which is all focusing on 100% silk and is manufactured in England. I know for one how gorgeous it is because I have been very lucky enough to borrow some of your gorgeous silk pieces in the past for events and for TV jobs uh, and I know how beautifully made it is but I'd love to kick off because I know that you started working out as a stylist Mm. before you moved into design. Um, Do you still style as well? It's interesting you ask that because I haven't for the last, well since the pandemic I've kind of let that make the decision for me I'd kind of I'd done sort of 20 years of styling and and then as the label grew more I was doing less and less styling and then it just sort of like organically came to a stop uh along with a lot of other things um 18 months ago um it's something that I may pick up again and actually funnily enough I have got something that's come in for next week but um we'll see at the moment the focus is on the label I still enjoy it, but yeah. How much do you think your styling expertise has influenced your designs? Well, I guess fundamentally just try to create pieces that people can wear and feel good in. Um, going, like you say, going to an event or, um, I mean, my clothes aren't so much red carpet, but they are to, to wear to things. And um, so often as a stylist, you have sometimes have these amazing pieces for an editorial, but they just don't work so well in, in everyday wearing. So that's kind of, I guess, what um, I tried to do. Um, and I, it was through styling. I, I got a collection of vintage dresses. That's what really started off the dress label. Well, what is it that you enjoy so much about the styling side of it? What is it that kind of, you know, really appealed to you? Oh, gosh. Um, I mean, over the years, I've done so many. I've worked with so many incredible people and brands and 
was really fortunate that I got to travel. Um, I've al- I was always freelance, so you kind of never really. I guess I loved the challenge that of of each job was usually very different. Um, and working with personalities as well is really great because you're kind of working with their character as well, and then what you're kind of all bringing what you what I think will work, but their views, and then and then sometimes you've then got the record company and all those kind of views as well. But it's I guess the challenge and and that it's always different, it's forever changing. And it was in 2014 that you made the jump to designer and created yeah. Ellie Lines. How did you decide to make the jump? What was it? No, I think. It was just the natural, for me, it was the natural, I guess, progression to do. I think as a, like a young teenager, I wanted to be a designer, but I've never, I'm not very good at the technical side of anything. So we've all got, yeah. So I kind of went, I guess, probably the longer way around where I had the styling career and then I had it all in my head. And then I have, I'm, I'm very blessed with amazing pattern cutters that can kind of put my ideas into, into reality. Um, and then when the, the collection started, it was just going to be a, a capsule collection. I think we had probably six or seven dress styles. And the idea was that it was, the styles always stayed the same and then you introduced new, new prints. Um, and then it's evolved from there, really. Um, but, you know, it has been a very exciting journey. And it's amazing that I've got some incredible ladies who I really respect, who, you know, are great followers of the brand. So. So that's really great. Was it something to do with the timing? Was there something in terms of like, had you kind of done, were you done with styling or was it just felt like a really like great natural progression? I think I had, I, to be honest, I, just, I started researching. I had the idea in my head of what I wanted to do. And I, I knew I wanted to have it made in the UK. Um, that was a really big, important thing to me. Um, so much fashion used to be made here and and now so little is. So it was really important that I, it was all made here. Um, and I just started researching manufacturers and dressmakers. And then I'd kind of met a print, uh, print designer, textile designer. And it, in honesty, just kind of rolled from there. And the next thing I was doing it. But that's how most things start as well. And you've got to just go, you've got to, you know, put in, you know, go head first and be like, right, let's, let's go for this. Let's do it. Um, And you mentioned, obviously, you know, the, the, all your silk um, designs are manufactured in England. Can you explain why that is so important for you and, and, and why it's sort of such a big part of the brand? I think, like, as I said, a lot of my inspiration comes from kind of the 50s, 60s, 70s and, you know, and people like Mary Quant and, you know, like Beaver and things and Ozzy Clark. And it was all, it was all made here and there was much more and craftsmanship was much, I think, and it still is very highly respected, but I just think we've just become such a mass, it's all about mass market, how cheap you can produce it, how quick you can make it overseas and it that just wasn't what I wanted to be at all I wanted it to be all very much made London is one of the fashion still is one of the most fashion capitals and um so much creativity comes out of here and so it was really important that it was made here um and also from a quality point of view you can really oversee things and you can make you know sometimes you, if you see how a pattern of, or a shape is going to work, 
maybe something needs a bit of tweaking, you can act on that much quicker when it's, you know, just down the road in London rather than waiting for samples to be kind of shipped overseas and everything. So especially especially now as well, it's kind of, I think people and consumers are much more, we want to know where our, our clothes come from. How, how do you um, know like when something's going to do well I suppose like if you've got if you've got a design in your head do you know when you when you when you're designing are you like yeah this is going to be a winner you think you do but it surprises you sometimes or it might be that something is a slow burner or the press might pick up on it and the press might love a print but then that print doesn't love or or the customers might understand it like six months later or something it's kind of weird you don't really know you kind of go instinctively but um I definitely have probably four or five of the shapes that that work and you know they're gonna you know the cost you know people and your clients are gonna love those um and quite a lot of clients have got the same shape but in different prints which is what I wanted to do when I started and in terms of kind of like obviously your designs are like really luxurious and they're stylish but they're also really fun as well and mm. um, how well, what's the process behind kind of you know, the, the, I suppose the, the designing element, where do you draw your inspiration from? Kind of, it used to be tra- travel, like a lot of things will change. Um, probably a lot of, yeah, and just from people. And I don't know, or I might see a flower or a painting or listen to a song or I don't know. From, I think as a creative, you're constantly inspired by stuff that's around you. And there's no, it's not necessarily that I think, sit down and think oh I need to go get some inspiration you mentioned that you do you named some of your pieces after friends how do you decide who makes the cut <laughs> I know it's so hard I guess it initially started with family I mean actually the Carly is, is my sister Carly and she's yeah she's probably my best seller and then Julia is probably my second which is like my one of my best oldest girlfriends um yeah, that I was probably bad that there was a Debbie after my mum, but that only that only was a sample that never went into production. Um, <laughs> that's why I started. And then racetracks, because I'm a massive F1 fan, I started naming them after um, racetracks. Well, we've got to make that happen. I'm pretty sure. Yeah. I'm sure you've dressed Natalie Pinkham, who's also yeah, been on the podcast and who's also a Ben Foundry leader yeah. and, you know, F1 reporter. So we've got to make that happen. And who, who would you say is the Ellie Lines woman? So many different types of Ellie Lines women, I think. I like to think. Um, she's obviously not afraid of wearing some bright colour because a lot of my stuff is very bright. <laughs> bright is um, good. I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a big fan of bright and bold. Yeah. Yes. Um, so I guess she needs to be pretty confident. Um, likes to smile. <laughs> likes to dance. Likes, I don't know. I... Who is my woman? I probably never completely figured it out. I'm probably still trying to figure it out. Well, I think you've got a good, you've got a really good start there in terms of like stylish, confident, um, you know, kind of. I, I suppose it's like it's really empowering when you dress in a in a really lovely piece. Like you feel amazing when you put it on, and I think you know a lot of your designs of they are really feel good because you catch yourself in the mirror and you're like, oh yeah, yeah. Thank you. But I try, yeah, yeah, I try to make them kind of move with you as well like the fabrics that kind of like really swish and just feel really good on and you launched your bridal collection in 2018 how is it different designing for brides 
what makes a good a great sort of wedding dress I guess it's such a it was such a special day and there's so much pressure put on girls but normally they have an idea well I don't know I got married in a bright coral dress which I wasn't really although I kind of did think I wanted to have a pink dress but um I don't know I guess it's meeting what they sometimes what they think they want to wear and then the reality of what they kind of do does that make sense yeah so it's kind of I suppose there's a bit, probably a bit more of a process isn't it because they come into you know you've got like an, an idea in mind but when it, the reality comes to sort of actually because obviously you know you're doing bespoke pieces as well when yeah. it's like when you wave the magic wand and you can be like you can have absolutely anything it sort of opens the floodgates a bit 100 percent and I I would think that there's a, a lot of women, well, especially the ones that come to me, that they they have, they sort of where the starting point isn't always where, like, the finishing point is, if that makes sense. Uh, yeah, because there's just so many things. And once you start playing with different fabrics and cuts and stuff, yeah, it's, it's a fun process. And not always white as well. I mean, I am for the unconventional. I didn't get married in white either. Um, no, you didn't, yeah. Yeah, I, was, I went nuts and was like, I'll have a dress covered in stars and sequins. Thanks very much. Love it. Because um, why not? You know, you do it once. Exactly. Um, I also know that you have recently, you've been launching your bespoke suits and you have some incredible, gorgeous suits. How is the tailoring side? Is it? I mean, is it different in terms of suits and dresses? Yeah, it's... It is different and it takes a different um, kind of skill set from like tailoring. It's just like another level of the dressmaking, definitely. Um, I'm very fortunate that I have an amazing tailor that I use. And it was kind of all inspired by the Bianca Jagger, like white double-breasted. Well, she's worn some amazing suits, but I was just that kind of quite iconic picture of her in a white like, double-breasted suit. It was actually that combined with some of uh, David Bowie's, there's a couple of, there's a picture of him with like this amazing yellow suit and a turquoise suit that I think Terry O'Neill had shot him. So that was sort of my starting point. And um, yeah, I just wanted to just try and nail a really good double-breasted trouser suit. I think also every every woman should have a tailored suit in her wardrobe or should have like a suit in her wardrobe that's like a fun, like empowering, like, cool suit yeah I I love I'm like I'm drawn to suits so much I wear them way more I I don't wear enough dresses uh to be honest where where I'm much more of a suit kind of girl but I feel like it's like that core piece that you want in 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 your wardrobe do you reckon yeah now I've I've got one like I say I was never really a trouser girl but now I've got one I've got it kind of nailed and then I'm like oh do I start doing different shapes um and you obviously um ellie lines is uh, des- described as slow fashion can you explain what you mean by slow fashion and what it is to you for those that aren't familiar with it i mean i've always tried to design pieces that will kind of always be like your wardrobe friends that you can kind of pull out and wear and i think that's shown in the fact that people are still wearing pieces you know from my first second third collections you know um and we've always been about kind of working with very small orders very very small runs we always did really small runs at a time 
Um, and now even more so, this was happening before COVID where we were starting to do more pieces to order. So you could be like, Ellie, I love that Alexa dress, but can you do it in the floral sketch print for me um, rather than Scarlet? Or, and then and we can do that because we've got the fabrics here. They're all my own prints. And we kind of think, so it's much more slow fashion is exactly that. It's just kind of slowing it right down. Uh, buy less, buy better, you know, like wear stuff and forget seasons I just think you know it doesn't matter if it was actually an autumn winter 19 piece you know kind of um although we've never really worked that way we've never really called the seasons we've kind of tried to go by names of collections obviously we've um had a couple 26 recently and there were so many conversations about fast fashion and the impact it has on the environment do you feel like the tide is turning and people are a little bit more f- focused on sustainable pieces and investing in like wardrobe staples rather than the quick hits I feel like it's beginning to but then uh it kind of makes me laugh when you sort of then go on social media and you have like people like doing that thing where they change outfits and sort of like 10 outfits in 10 seconds and you're like this is really not slow fashion uh, you know um and then I think have we got a problem with slow slow homeware now as well it's <laughs> not so but fast sorry fast homeware and things um I think the tide is changing I think people need to not be afraid to be seen in public wearing something more than once as well you know it's beginning to happen um, and I think some of the rental apps are good. I know a lot of um, people in the public eye are kind of renting things and stuff, which is great. But um, it is about making people aware of who is made, who made my clothes. I had somebody, a designer, they, they kind of did a thing where they sent, instead of the, the garment made up, it was all the pieces before it was like made into the pattern. So like the label, almost like, well, you sew them together because you don't want to pay the price for them to be sewn. You know, it's like kind of just showing like what goes into making a, a really well-made garment rather than something that's just done with a really bad overlocked. Yeah, I think that's also a really interesting kind of like way to approach it because I think like as consumers, you you know, not everyone does think about where they come from. They're like, oh, and I want this, and oh, I've seen that, and it's new, and do-do-do-do-do, and oh, there's this trend, there's this trend, oh, I'm like... And actually, there's so it's so easy to get very kind of, I think, spun up in, in yeah. our fashion industry. And it, I think it takes a, a lot of consciously to slow down and to kind of, like, really think about what you're spending. I have, like, secondhand September, and yeah. there's, you know, lots of encouragement to shop vintage. I love vintage. Uh, I think yeah. renting's a really great um, option as well. Um, what do you think works for you personally? Do you do you rent or shop vintage? I've always been a massive vintage lover. Well, because of all I your mean, inspiration, I'm sure you know yeah. you've got the best I, vintage wardrobe. <laughs> I've got quite some good pieces, but just charity shop as well. Like as a fashion student, I would like living in London. I would like zero money, just used to buy everything in charity shops, and then I'd mix, you know, mix in, or you'd save up and buy like one incredible Vivian Westwood piece that I'd wear. Like, talk about cost per wear, you know, like, wherever. But, um, yeah, so I'm a massive, like, charity shop and vintage. Yeah. 
and for things like coats and stuff, I don't think I've probably got the odd one that I've bought new, but you can find some great coats and tailoring. Where are your sort of haunts for, for great vintage shopping for anyone who's listening, namely also me? <laughs> there is a really good one if you want on um, Old Church Street off the King's Road. There's the Save the Children. That one there is pretty good. Um, there's a oh, there's a few, yeah, sort of like around kind of Chelsea. There's on Butte Street off of that these are all kind of like near me those are all quite good victoria's got some quite good ones because you've kind of got yeah there's some quite good ones kind of around victoria um it's a bit of a luck of the draw what about your personal style because obviously as a stylist i'm always really can you know kind of intrigued as to how stylists dress themselves and what they you know are you know are you into sort of trends like how how would you describe your own style probably just that's my own style <laughs> that i've kind of had since like yeah I was a teenager and getting laughed at um I think a lot of stylists do just dress down quite a lot and designers we are kind of quite often in a uniform of like quite simple basics were you like the rest of us and did you descend into loungewear during the pandemic yes but I think you, I still had to put like jeans and stuff on because I just couldn't do elasticated clothing 24-7 because I just think it's a downhill spiral. <laughs> I think you've got to keep a little bit and like, like I'm completely albino if I don't put mascara on. So like every day I had to put like, you still have to just put a little bit of mascara on, a little bit of lip gloss because otherwise you've just got 18 months of just like, in your pajamas. I- no, I love that. It's funny because I, I obviously, I, I dress up quite a lot to to go out. So when I'm at home, I'm always in like casual loungewear at yeah. home in the house, and I've always like had you know I'm cashmere like leggings and cashmere jumpers and especially in the winter that's kind of like my go-to like as soon as I come in I put in the house I'm like comfy but even I in the in the pandemic was like this is too much I need to wash my clothes but it's nice now to have things you know to be coming back to things and to be you know be able to put uh, dresses on and I feel like people are really going all out um especially this party season yes definitely people are really getting dressed up the hardest thing is learning to work walk in um heels again (laughs) Give me a walking stick. Um, yeah, just ease in with the mid-heel. In terms of the last couple of years, which obviously as a business owner, it's been so challenging for so many of us. How has it been for you? We were already doing more made-to-order stuff. It was really easy to kind of put the brakes on, really slow things down. Um, and it's a really small team, so we could really kind of control things. But for me, it was kind of just to stay in your own lane and not I wasn't going to start making silk eye masks so yeah just trying to stay in your own lane stay above water um stop the leaks as much as you can you know like stop it like going completely out of control um and then being ready for when things open up because I mean we're still not completely out of I think we're almost there, but we're still not completely out of the woods. Um, and then balance with also being more like conscious and people are more conscious of where they're spending their money and how they're spending it. And 
find that Ines is kind of working with that as well. How do you think you've changed? What do you think you've kind of taken away from it? I'm not going to have any pressure put on me that you must come out with a whole new campaign and this, that, and the other. I guess just do it in a much more organic way of what's right for you than listening to the industry or other people, what they expect you should be doing. Um, and especially if you're a really small brand, without, you know, if you don't have outside investment to do that. So it's just to kind of stay in your own lane um, and just sort of adapt to that. And also I've kind of found a few like being a bit more sustainable, found more sort of end of a few end of line pieces of fabric where you might only get like 10 meters of that because it's like an old stock of something, but just playing with it and just experimenting. So I kind of experimented with some jacquards and things. Yeah, I guess just experimenting. Is and also having having a bit more time to experiment as well. Yes. Yeah. And keeping the creative I I, I don't know about you, but I find it keeping like keeping creative in a time when it's been really challenging has is challenging within itself because you kind of as you say, you know, like with being inspired by travel, you need kind of the outer world to be to draw inspiration from. So it's kind of fine, you know, being I suppose clever, not clever, but being yeah, trying trying to find inspiration in other ways that's like inside your four walls. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, when your only daylight was sort of your your dog walk <laughs> each day. But and also creative people and people that you know like run their own businesses and work in small teams. Like we really thrive off other people. And like so, Zoom is just kind of not. Yeah, it's not the same for me. Um, so that was it was really hard as we mentioned you know people are embracing fashion much more and making an effort now we're out and about is that being reflected in your business would you say as well yeah because yeah because you see people are starting to all yeah all the things or have things made and like they're going away again and well hopefully um yeah there's <laughs> from buys at jinx um yeah I'm just making a nice sparkly dress for a really lovely customer her birthday this week she's like yeah I want to get dressed up again um so yeah you are definitely seeing it yeah which is good and as you know as you say we clothes make such a huge difference to how we feel what is your go-to feel-good outfit Ellie my Julia dress is in whichever print whichever mood I'm in my Julia or my Carly dress my two like go-tos depending on the weather or what going on and as as a stylist for people who are listening who are maybe thinking oh my god I'm really you know I'm out of it here I I haven't I don't know how to I I don't know I don't know I'm out of it I don't know what to be wearing at all because let's face it it's coming up to like festive season but also silly season and red like hibernate season between in the betwixtmas of Christmas and New Year um what are your top tips for feeling good about yourself and what you're wearing wear something that makes you feel good like there's no rules where don't turn up wearing something you think you should be wearing and don't feel great because you're not going to have a great night you're not going to enjoy yourself you know put something on that you really like and makes you feel good and anything to get you out of your active wear I'm loving that you're quite anti anti-active wear and I know obviously um, I just want to jump back because we've mentioned 
you know, slow fashion and you, the fact that you're manufactured in, in, in the UK. Can you tell me a little bit about your manufacturing process and like where those people are and maybe a bit of the sto- the, you know, the stories behind your products? Yeah, so they are mainly in London. Most of them are in London. There's a lady in uh, Somerset that I use actually like randomly found this incredible um, dressmaker um, and she's in the same small town in Somerset as my dad's business, which is quite rad. Um, I've got a lovely lady in Sussex that I use for certain projects and um, a lovely lady, Shirley, who I actually found during the beginning of the pandemic where I just needed to change things around and she's in Nottingham. Um, and then, yeah, and then so then some of the original uh, studios I was using in London. Yeah, I love that. And is is all of your silk printed here as well? All printed here. So I've got different printers. I kind of, I learned early on that you don't put all your eggs in one basket with one. And it's the same with all of it. You can't just have one manufacturer. You can't just have one printer. You have to kind of learn the hard way on that one. Um, so I've got a printer in Stockport. <laughs> uh, there's one in... Brentford and there's one in Sussex. It's also it's just so interesting hearing like you know the journey of 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 a product so for example say one you know one of your say your Julia dress like what would be the the journey of Julia to get from design page to to delivery at home like how many how many sort of like hands has has Julia gone through? Yeah well, I guess the, the one thing we can't to the base cloth the different printers get their base cloths from different places that I kind of kind of can't control. I've tried to my all my wool is English wool. Um but it's really hard to get the base cloth, the base silk that they can print on here. I will kind of crack the code on that at some point. Um so yeah so they're printed and then here and then depending on which manufacturer it will go which dressmaker it will go to um it will do that journey the, the fabric will go with the with the pattern and I've got a lovely lady down in Kent who makes all my buttons um and yeah so I just sent her and she hand makes all my buttons and then yeah we'll go and we'll send a sample off with it for them to make and come back to me and off to the client or it may be that the client, depending on how bespoke it is, whether the client comes here and then we do another fitting. You know, the, I've only ever had one one piece bespoke made in my whole life, which was my wedding dress. And I loved the process of that. But it's the idea of kind of, you know, especially because I'm such a, I'm small, my husband's always like, for God's sake, can we not just, can we just find you a tailor and actually make yeah. you things that fit? Because I, you know, if I buy something, I have to chop the heart, chop half the legs off or, you know, like p- pull the shoulders in or whatever, you know, I'm five foot one and that's what I have to do. Nothing ever fits. Um, but I think there's so much now, as, as I've kind of got older and I'm really appreciating like piece by piece, I think there's so much to be said for having, that relationship with someone and knowing where to go to be able to have those pieces designed and you maybe start off with one and then as soon as you've had one and you can feel how amazing it is then you're like you kind of get hooked so yes, warning yeah. to people who are listening if you're listening yeah, exactly. you might get hooked on, on bespoke on bespoke clothes <laughs> Ellie so as you know at Femme Foundry we're really passionate about our pillars which are mental health physical health spiritual health and financial health. So this is our sort of quick fire round, and I would love to know what is important to you about each of those categories. 
and kind of like your best advice, I suppose, on each. So let's kick off with... I know, I was listening to some of the other ones. I was like, oh God, when it comes to the financial one, I'm going to be like screwed on the answer on that one. (laughs) Do you know what? So many people are, and I'm actually making it my mission now to kind of like get us all talking about financial health. And there's so many great... um, uh, there's so many great resources in in the app uh, for financial health as well, and some really good tips. So let's let's start start with that one if that that's the one that you fear the most. <laughs> let's get that one out of the way. Uh, so yeah, how do you look after your financial health? Not very well. <laughs> sometimes I'm really good. Sometimes I'm really good. I'm quite frugal, and other times I'm like, sod it, let's just blow it all can't take it with you so you might as well spend it so I kind of split I'm a Libra so I kind of go between the two of being quite quite good and not so good (laughs) I think that's okay though I think that's quite normal you know you can't you can't be sort of well I I don't have the personality to be really abstemious and really well behaved all the time I have to be able to have a like oh my god a a fuck it moment let's call it you know (laughs) and I'm better with my running the business accounts than I am with my own life admin. Maybe that is because I do it with the business and then I'm like, when it comes to my own stuff, I'm like. And just on that, what what advice do you have for anyone who is sort of, I suppose, wanting to start their own fashion label? It costs a hell of a lot more than you think it's going to do. <laughs> do your sums and then double it. It's like when you do up a house or anything. Yeah. Okay. And let's move on to physical health. How do you look after your physical health? Are you into it? So over the years, yoga's always been my exercise I've gone to. Um, I've kind of, I haven't been doing so much recently. I was really good. I kind of go through phases of being really, really good. Um, Dog walking, we've mentioned, and I'm a massive advocate of walking because I just think any of us, you know, it's just, it's free. You do it. It's really good for your mind. Uh, like, so yeah, so my dog, I begin my day. I will bore everyone with <laughs> repeatedly a good hour to an hour and a half of, um, of dog walking. I think it's, so then I bag that, that bit of exercise. And then if I can do yoga once, twice, however many times a week, if I can, it's a bonus. Uh, but though that would be my thing, but exercise is important to me definitely and how about your uh, mental health what do you do to safeguard that question <laughs> it depends you've actually got me in a, in a relatively zen mood today it's not too bad um I've kind of tried to go back into my meditation um I've been quite disciplined with that again recently because I find that really helps to kind of ground me in um helps with mental health again I'll go back to exercise I think it's really important. I think it's really important to switch off devices for certain periods during the day. Um, I don't know about you, but I found even more so the last 18 months, because we are so reliant on digital, I then don't really, it's quite hard to focus on things because you're, you're sort of doing WhatsApp, email, Instagram message, like, all these things at the same time so actually to switch off and even if you can't do meditation if you're not ready to do meditation just switch off or just read something like read a book read poetry is really good as well because if your attention span is four seconds like mine then poetry is really good 
Yeah, it's so funny you bring up focus because I sometimes I find it really hard when you're pull. You know, we've got lots of different devices and you're pulled in loads of different directions, different projects, different everything. That and actually have sitting, actual having the time to sit down and focus on stuff is you've got to. Re- I've got to be really strict with myself mm. uh, to to get that time. And then I think the last one that we haven't done is um, spiritual health. So how what works for you for your spiritual health? One of my best girlfriends actually laughs at me just laughs at me because I'll kind of go from my got lots of crystals what is it that works for you I don't know I went to see a, it's like woo, woo, went to see a crystal well she she does Reiki but she does crystal healing the Reiki and she gave me a crystal this is four years ago maybe and that then started me being mad into crystals for different different crystals for different moods you're feeling or if you're attracted to a certain crystal you're you obviously need that um yeah I got really stressed that I'd lost a crystal and then she was like it's okay you don't need that one anymore I'm like okay I have like I think every home should have some rose quartz and some amethyst because that's all calming um yeah I'm a massive fan of so do you have like a collection yeah how does it work oh my god I love this Ellie this is like music to my ears because are you into crystals well I'm I've I've been given a few things over over the over a period of time and I have like a mini turquoise and I have a mini rose quartz Mm. um and my godmother actually gave me I I need I think it was obsidian it's like a really big black um kind of piece of like it was a ball and that was for being for grounding and centering myself, and I so I have that in my top drawer on my bed. But mm. I, I think the thing is, is that it you know it's finding the time to actually kind of discover this side of spirituality and kind of what it mean you know what it means for some people, and you know some people connect with it, some people are like not interested, and I think that's that's totally okay. But I think whatever works for you is is really important. You mentioned woo, you, you, know, you mentioned the word woo woo, which is what I really love in terms of because that's how people describe like that. Oh, it might be a bit woo woo for you, so it's like a little bit alternative. Um, what other things are you into? There's a really amazing lady called Saskia, and she does flower essences, and they're quite interesting to kind of read up on. And she can make it's kind, I guess it's like bark flower remedy. So um, different flowers will help you at different times. Like a form of essential oil. Yeah. Um, but you take them as a tincture. Um, right. So those are quite good. And she can make kind of combination ones for you. Sometimes you could just, you just go into a health food store and you see them. It might just, it's a bit like crystals. You might be drawn to one. Yeah. Um, essential oils I've always got I've got I sound like a complete complete hippie but um, which I am but I've got yeah essential oils rosemary is my rosemary is really good for focus is it? yeah 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 I always have rosemary kind of nearby or if you just about to go into a meeting on a call and you just put some rosemary in, your, in the palm of your hand and then just smell it it's really clear it helps with any um, depression well, not 
not going to cure it overnight with rosemary essential oil, but it does help with any kind of negative thoughts. That's also a really yeah. good little tip for, I'm um, yeah. going to have walk around with rosemary sprigs in my pocket. Yeah, um, I think it's a great idea. Um, <laughs> Well, Ellie, thank you so much for chatting to us and for giving us your time and expertise on Profoundly. Honestly, it's been such a pleasure to hear all about your career and how the brand started. Oh my God, thank you for having me. The uber-talented Ellie Lines there. Do check out her collection if you can. Now, here at Femme Foundry, mental health is incredibly important to us and is one of our main pillars of discussion. This week, Deborah Williams from the Women's Association shares her approach to dealing with negative emotions. Be kind to yourself, be present, don't be afraid to experience your emotions. And sometimes it might mean sitting in some emotions for some time, but always know almost that it's not it's not permanent. Um, the moment you're in isn't permanent, even though it might feel like it's permanent. Deborah there reminding us that moments are not permanent here on Profoundly. So a huge thank you to my guests this week, to Deborah and to Ellie, and a big thank you for listening. Do let us know your thoughts, ping us a message in the Fem Foundry app, do rate and subscribe us if you can wherever you are listening right now. And our brand new app is available on Android and iOS. I look forward to connecting with you on there. Thanks for tuning in and making this podcast what it is. And I'll see you next week.